0: Hello listeners welcome back to the Externist podcast bringing you knowledge that we hope is gonna last. <laughs> I'm your host, Colby Cullen with me is my co-host Dr. Nathan charpentier. Nate, how you doing today?
1: Good how are you Colby?
0: um doing pretty good uh, got a little workout in this morning and then on my way to the clinic, uh, I spilled myself so... Um, you know, yeah. I just had to take, uh, I had to take the advice of Jocko and just look at my horrible situation that was going to make me late and just say, good. <laughs> Wait, you no know one. what? I just feel am my pants and I got to return home and I'm going to be late to my meeting.
1: Good. Um, was, uh, was it on your white coat?
0: No, thankfully it wasn't.
1: Oh, okay, so you just wore, like, a tie-dye shirt? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I was on my pants, and...
1: Oh, tie-dye pants, even better.
0: <laughs> I mean, the pants were brown, so it kind of blended in, but... <sighs> yeah, yeah. To...
1: I um I had a professor who like uh showed up late to class once and everyone was wondering where he was and he's like I'm sorry I was leaving the house and my baby threw up all over my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that ended me being on time. I was like, Oh, okay, well that's a pretty good excuse, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very I did I did once work I did once work with someone, and I was they um they didn't have time to like eat breakfast, so we were trying to do shakes and they were like a police officer, and on their way to work they spilled a shake all over their uniform <laughs> so uh I don't know they seem they seem to be all right about it but uh
0: <laughs> the moral, moral made story. for an
1: interesting day I guess. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the moral of the the story is that fluids can be dangerous.
1: (laughs) Don't drink and (laughs) dry.
0: Don't drink fluid and dry, yes. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, um, yeah, we got an exciting, hopefully exciting, um, talk today. But before anything, um, our disclaimer that none of this information is Created or intended to treat and/or cure any medical condition. If you have a medical condition, please consult your doctor. This is for educational purposes only, and also to help with my sanity. But yeah, actually, I um, the clinic I'm going to right now for my family medicine rotation. They have a weekly podcast, and. It's more, um, you know, it's very much more, I mean, more educational based, but, um, you know, it's very um, emphasized towards like a particular topic that maybe somebody had learned and then also trying to just help the the residents to kind of just learn the basics of, you know, conditions and where they can go read further upon it and things like that. And I got to participate um, in a podcast yesterday and it was super fun. Um, me and one of the other residents uh, each played the role as um, one of the diseases of irritable bowel disease so like I was ulcerative colitis and then she was Crohn's and it was just it was kind of dark but also kind of humorous and um, a little different from what they had traditionally been doing Um, and that should be out I think next week so I'll I'll make sure to send you the link because yeah I think it'll be Pretty funny. (laughs)
1: It's awesome.
0: Yeah. So, all right. What are we going to talk about today? Um, I think first we'll talk about this Lumen device that we forgot to talk about last time. Um, And then I think we're going to delve into kind of hormones a little bit today. And also I wanted to touch up about, um, one of my, um, preceptors had actually listened to my podcast, um, which I thought was awesome. And, uh, he gave me, you know, some good critiques. And, um, I think one of the things that he had mentioned is about like what to eat. And I know we've kind of mentioned things along the way, probably kind of more like generalized um recommendations of course we don't like to generalize but um yeah i just thought maybe we just you know we could just talk more about that and then um i wanted to talk about um food sensitivities because i think that ties into kind of you know how we make these recommendations on like what to eat and then yeah just whatever comes up
1: yeah um We're going to talk about the lumen.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The lumen. Yeah. So I think we mentioned it, you know, on the last podcast. um, And I think you talked a a little bit about it um, as far as how it works. And it's, you know, it's basically this device you breathe into and supposedly it, it just measures um, like your CO2 production, which is indicative of um, your metabolism. I think earlier in this podcast series, you know, we mentioned, um, how they, how they did these studies in the past and they didn't have this nice little device you can just carry in your pocket. Um, but the idea is still the same and it's that, you know, under, uh, when you're burning, um, more carbohydrates, you're going to be producing, um, more CO2 and, so that's kind of how this device is, is working is that you're ble- breathing into it. And if the higher the CO2, um, reading then it's kind of indicating that you're more burning carbs. And then if it's lower CO2, then it's kind of burning fat. And I just been like looking on the website a little bit and just reading about the, um, the device. And then it, you know, it takes into account, Um, your CO2 levels and stuff. And then like recommends basically like nutritional plans, like on the daily. Um, and one thing I just think it's kind of ironic is like on their first bit on their front page, um, it's like, all right, for today, the nutrition plan, um, on a low carb day, which is in their case, less than 60 grams uh, per day. It says get enough lean protein, healthy fats, and vegetables. I'm like, that just seems like what you should be eating anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I was looking into this because I thought it was kind of interesting. I mean, when I first saw it, it seemed like maybe a way of measuring, which we kind of um <laughs> podcast or kind of the ability to uh, burn carbs or fats or maybe even more importantly the ability to switch over um, and it's a little weird when you when you're talking about co2 and I, I used to kind of joke um, with people who have, uh, you know brought up burner or something because uh realistically you can only burn as much fat as your blood can buffer co2 um you know co2 is just a byproduct of normal human physiology and we every time we breathe out we exhale co2 and uh, i think the concentration can change and um but You know, the thing that usually makes it change is heart rate and breathing rate. Um, Our heart rate goes up and our breathing rate goes up, then we expel more CO2. So the real hack for this lumen is just to exercise. And while you're exercising, uh, breathe into it. (laughs) (laughs) And then you can just eat whatever you want. I mean... Yeah, but I mean, you probably have to use it at rest. And um, I mean, the interesting thing about it is you see these like commercials on TV, and it's like, you know, burn 10 pounds of fat and it just melts the fat away. But I mean, you can't, you can only burn so much fat at rest because you can only breathe out so much CO2 before you pass out. Um, I mean, you can only have so much CO2 in your blood. I mean, uh, or else you'll, you'll be in a, a status where you might get poisoning. So, I mean, it's not – I don't think it's a true, like, metabolic flexibility tool. And maybe it's a haphazard way of figuring out if your metabolism is a little bit ramped up or not. I mean, if you drink coffee, your metabolism is ramped up. Um, so, you might actually expel a little more CO2. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the default is always going to be less carbs – you know more veggies and proteins and fats and yeah yeah so i, I that, thought that's that actually a
0: really good point um because like the main purpose for this thing is to tell you whether you're burning fat right because really that's what anybody cares about these days right um so if you're yeah. if you're not burning as much fat based off of this reading then yeah like you said the recommendations is going to be to Kind of eat less carbs. And it's like, well, I think that's kind of the, you know, it's, it's trending towards that kind of general, again, not to, like, to generalize, but um, obviously um, the majority of the population is eating too many carbs. Um, so that's kind of the, the general recommendation. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Even like the breathing rate, you know, like if you hyperventilate, you're going to be lowering your CO2. So it's like, all right, your CO two is too high. Maybe just I don't know, exercise a little harder. <laughs> I <don't... laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's I, I yeah, yeah. I think mean, don't um... don't waste your money on it. <laughs> um, because I, yeah. I think the other thing about yeah. it too is, um, kind of tying into this theme of um just like medicine and healthcare in general, and you know and we mentioned this before is, you know, not treating the numbers or treating the disease, but treating the person who has the disease or whatever. And so I just, and, you know, it's like, all right, here's your day. Now you need to eat, you know, this many grams of carbs and this many grams of fat and this many grams of protein. Like I've never done that before in my life, as far as like that strict of meal planning and stuff like that. Um, of course i've never been like you know elite level athlete or whatever um but man it just it just seems like so much work you know (laughs) it's like having to count count all the grams Um, of this or that and um it just i don't know it seems like i mean if people are needing you know are in this state where they are wanting to rely on this little machine to tell them that they need to burn more fat It's like, well, do you, do you have time? If you don't have time to, again, there's a lot of, a lot of factors in this, but this is just very simplistic view. Like if you don't have time to be physically active, to prevent weight gain in the first place or to like help shed it, if you had it, like how, how much more is this going to help you? It's, it's actually going to give you more things you need to do, um, to try to like make all these numbers work and to be perfect, but
1: yeah. Exactly. I mean, um, and the interesting thing about it is if you really did want to improve your fat burning, like non-dietary forms, um, it would be through like pretty low intensity cardio work and, There's other factors like you could use like intermittent fasting, for example. Um, But like the low intensity of cardio work, like lower than 70% of your maximum heart rate, you know, it's like the sweet spots between like 60 and 70% of your maximum heart rate. Um, You're really really utilizing and depending on fatty acids for fuel. You're not really typing in uh, or excuse me, tapping into you know, glycogen in your muscles, for example. Um, So uh, people might think they need to exercise to boost their metabolism and they might actually be exercising to the point where they're um, requiring more glycogen, requiring more carbohydrates because the intensity is too high. So it's another kind of thing to... uh, think about
0: um yeah no that's 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 a good point and it's uh you know it's almost like it's painting this dichotomy of you know you need to be in the burning fat mode your metabolism to actually like burn fat and burn you know and lose more weight um but obviously that's that's not necessarily true and you know, it makes me think of um um because you were mentioning like intensity of your exercise and stuff, and it makes me think of the I'm forgetting the actual term for it, but um it's called like post post workout um oxygen demand or um like this the oxygen
1: the yes, oxygen yeah. deficit,
0: right? So like and, and correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, it's it's been a while since I've looked at this, but um I think my understanding was that like um it, and this is kind of, I think, the basis for um, how you can do particular workouts um, or movements, I'll say, uh, that will kind of create this extended period post-workout where you're burning, you know, continuing to burn more, more and more fuel. And I think part of it has to do with this this oxygen debt that you create at the beginning of your workouts or your movements or whatever. And then that, you know, your body will basically, it needs to recover it, recover that O2 debt. And part of what happens when your body does that is that it will be burning fats afterwards. Is that, can you um, verify or deny?
1: (laughs) Yeah. You're uh, no, I mean, yeah, your metabolism will, um, try to um, again like blood buffering so if you're using an energy system devoid of oxygen you're, you're probably in the glycolytic system which is a system that you don't technically need oxygen to operate you can get energy from the stored uh, carbohydrates in the form of glucose or glycogen rather that get turned into glucose through a, you know, gluconeogenesis. and um, <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, yeah, just like you said, I mean, uh, if you tap into that system, you're going to, you know, release all, like um, carbon dioxide byproducts still. And your body's going to try to redistribute everything back to normal. And in that process, um, your metabolism is going to be slightly elevated, Uh, your cells are just gonna be trying to work out all the, uh, you know, like hydrogen ions that get produced. Um, And in the process, you'll probably be breathing at a higher rate of, uh, you know, higher respiratory rate, for example, per minute, Um, things like that, just to get back to a state of normalcy and it can take up to several hours depending on how intense the bout was and how much – I mean, I think there was a study in sprinters, uh, psych, uh, sprinter cyclists. I mean, those guys have, like, ridiculous uh, ridiculous power output. I, I forget the name of the person who, like – powered a toaster i don't know if you ever saw that (laughs) that commercial but
0: it rings a bell but yeah
1: yeah they literally put him on a bike that was attached to a toaster and a toaster requires this like insane amount of wattage and he like toasted bread and it took him like like a little over like a minute or something (laughs) but um i mean his legs were the size of my waist and uh i mean the amount of power that they output so um you know the study they were doing like muscle biopsies and they took a biopsy of muscle after three all-out sprint bouts and within like the first two sprint bouts the amount of glycogen that was initially in the muscle was down by like 70 Mm percent so and i think these were like 20 second sprints or um, I mean, you can burn a lot of fuel really quickly and that's just a lot of byproducts. I mean, you're literally holding, you know, hundreds of grams of, uh, glycogen in your muscles, uh, depending on like the size of the athlete, it could be in the hundreds, maybe like 150, 200, I don't know. There's some in your yeah. liver too. Um, but yeah, I mean, all that, I mean, that's it's 150 grams of sugar i mean that's like five gatorades
0: that's like half your daily recommended value
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's way more than a lumen recommend (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah so i mean it's interesting like you like the type of exercise you do can increase your metabolism but really you're promoting muscle. Like uh, if you do do high intensity exercise, you're going to be promoting more of the glycolytic muscle cells, like the type two fast twitch fibers, which are lower in mitochondria and lower in fat burning. Um, So Uh, you mean, you mean higher? Yeah, it's kind of, well, lower in mitochondria um, than like a slow twitch fiber. Like if you're, you're doing more aerobic work, like that kind of aerobic sweet spot, sixty to seventy percent, and you get your slow twitch fiber, like your marathon runner fibers. Um, overall, they have a net, um, a net higher increase of uh, mitochondria. Um, so, I mean, and it's it's tomatoes, tomatoes. I mean, you're gonna find uh, people with higher fast twitch fiber types, but they might have way more aerobic capacity. Yeah, yeah. Um, then you might think, I mean, CrossFitters <laughs> <laughs> are people who can, you know, lift pretty substantial weights and do pretty substantial amounts of high intensity exercise. But, um, you know, they also have a very high aerobic uh, capacity, yeah. but, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean. It's an interesting thing. Uh, all in all, I think it's uh I I think I'd pass on the $300 or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah, cup, I mean, but...
0: there's actually yeah, limited time offer, 299. And you can get 10% <laughs> off when you order too.
1: <laughs> I would say I guarantee you're breathing out CO2, you can save your money. <laughs> I was looking. Uh, I I tried. uh, uh, Yeah, I just tried to find the science. Like I tried to find the studies they were citing about CO2 concentration and uh, you know and and what type of energy metabolite you were uh, predominantly burning. But I mean, it's really hard for me to understand how you could measure that. Yeah. um, Just offhand. So, yeah, I I would say uh, a no-go. Yeah, I think
0: the important thing, too, is that, like, it's only measuring CO2. It's not measuring, um, like, the ratio of your O2 consumption to your CO2 production. I I mean, as far as what I'm seeing off the site, um, you know, obviously that's – you just – got to include, you know, the oxygen as well. That's –
1: I mean, it could be that ticket, though. It could be that ticket, the person who wants to see more CO2 and starts exercising more to just basically have a – I mean, if you have more CO2, you're, you're burning more fat. I mean, one
0: thing you could do is um, so try holding your breath and exercise. Uh, you know, do, do different movements, and then, you know, you'll probably find that uh, – <laughs> The faster and harder you move, the less time you'll be able to hold your breath. <laughs> that's
1: a that's hack. Like, that's the hack on Reddit. I mean, that's... You, like, hold your breath and breathe.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I'm pretty sure, like, <laughs> I've seen, like, Wim Hof guys, you know, and they're doing their breathing, and they'll, like, do a few rounds, and then, like, I remember this one video, I think the guy... Uh, maybe to like just one or two rounds and then he just bam like in his breath hole just started doing push-ups and he like did like I don't know 70 or something before he could breathe and <laughs> it's like
1: oh bah. man it's gonna it's gonna break it's gonna break the lumen <laughs> <laughs> it's not gonna know what yeah. to do
0: <laughs> I was looking at the uh, like the company too um, just of course I had some skepticism so I had to just look into it a little bit. I didn't find a lot of information, but I did find that um, their gross revenue is six point four million dollars. so um, Wow! Yeah, just buy more vets. Use that three hundred dollars and buy some more vegetables. Uh,
1: I'm in the wrong. I'm in <laughs> the wrong career, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, all right. Yeah, so, let's move uh, on. Let's... I think we, I think we, yeah, let's it's just make it be sad. Now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, since we're kind of um, talking about exercise, um, this might be a good segue into um, kind of the hormones. Um, you wanted to talk about this, uh, this female athlete triad. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. It's not just, you know, just concerning females. Um, I was looking it up and uh, the like International Olympic Committee um, actually had like proposed a name change to uh, relative energy deficiency in sports um, because it also can affect men, but um, I think it's probably much less common in men um, which is why it originally got the female, um, preposition, but.
1: Well, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, uh, there, it seems a little discriminatory. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, well, they, I remember in school, you know, it was like right at the kind of roots of andropause, um, and you know we were learning about menopause and then we had to go over andropause and menopause is when you know women meet the uh age where they stop having uh, their period or their menses but men meet the age where they have uh you know testosterone decline typically um and the health effects of that but yeah, I mean, what what did they call it again? I'm sorry. I didn't even hear Relative
0: energy deficiency in sports. Or REDS.
1: Relative. It went from. The, yeah, REDS. Oh, yes. I, I,
0: the mnemonic yeah. went from fat to REDS. <laughs> 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 Which is funny because the oh, female athlete triad is, like, usually, like, very low BMIs, right? Like, not fat
1: at all. Yeah, well, I mean, it was interesting because I, um, I mean, mean, the reason why I mentioned this is because I was talking to someone and they were telling me how um, their daughter tried intermittent fasting and she's like a high school athlete and she's very athletic and um, she went to the doctor and her, you know, her testosterone and her estrogen and her progesterone were all out of whack. I mean, this is someone who is um, attempting to get a scholarship for collegiate sports. And she had, she was a, you know, black and white um, reds or, you know, uh, I can't even remember the acronym now, but, but formerly known as female athlete triad. Um, but yeah, I mean, she couldn't get her period. Uh, for, like, quite a while. So what they did was they gave her, um, you know, hormonal therapy, so in the form of some type of um, birth control or hormonal regulator. And it's interesting because in a woman, it's, it's different from men because in women, estrogen is supposed to be um, – You know, much higher in terms of ratio to testosterone. You might think, well, if a woman has more testosterone, she might become more manly, but it doesn't always like work like that. Um, and estrogen has more of a uh, androgenic kind of quality to it in women. It just works differently in women. They're physiologically different, so it's not like if you have more testosterone. It's going to make you like better athlete. It'll actually hurt, um, give give you kind of poor health outcomes. um, Versus, in a man, and more testosterone might actually give you maybe better health outcomes. And in some respects, if it's natural, Uh, you know, it might just be more athletic, more physically fit. Um, So, anyway, yeah, I mean, um, and here here's something that we see more popular in younger people typically but it doesn't really not affect older people i mean we have more and more people becoming like gym members members and uh, being more physically active especially women because of the benefits and like one of the benefits of lifting weights for example is increasing bone mineral density but in the female athlete triad you could have someone who's a weightlifter and they have really poor bone mineral density because hormonally what's happening inside the body is not um, conducive to improving from the stressor of the weightlifting or the resistance training.
0: Oh, man, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, as far as, you know, not simply thinking that just lifting weights will make you strong. Uh, there's obviously a lot more, um, I mean, yes, I would recommend people, everyone lift weights, but uh, <laughs> it, it can well, be a little more know, complicated in, in, in
1: the it, it can, but it, <laughs> I mean, Donnie uh the famous uh, U.S. weightlifter, he said, if you want to lift, you got to eat. And uh, <laughs> I would say the root cause, I mean, the root cause in a lot of um, – athletes uh coming through with this kind of stuff is that they're not just not eating enough um you know that that would just be the case across the board for men and women um under nutrition
0: is that is Oprah and, it, or...
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean I, and it's, it's a real big concern i mean i think you know it's it's like this caveat like You know, losing weight is always good, or always a healthier option, but, um, you know, we live in time and space and everything is relative, so it's got to be done in a way that's sustainable and healthy. It just can't just be, like, simplified to that point, Um, because if you run into the female athlete triad, um, it's really, it can be really dangerous.
0: Did you... Did you, I'm sorry, I was uh, looking something up. Did you, did you mention like the three main um, features of it?
1: Oh, Uh, no, I didn't. Um, So the three main features are, yeah, low energy availability. Uh, Well, I actually kind of did passively. So low energy availability would be um, basically some type of restricted eating you're just basically not eating enough. And then you have uh, low bone mineral density. So, you know, osteopenia, osteoporosis, some kind of bone degenerative disorder, you should have a bone mineral density score within a normal range for your age. Um, and then you have menstrual disturbance. Now, I mean, I said menopause earlier. I mean, obviously someone who's in menopause doesn't have female athlete triad because at a certain age, women just lose their menses. Um, But this would be within an age range that you should be having menses and you're not getting menses. Um, So, yeah. Um, Right here, uh, there's some statistics here from a PubMed article and it says 78% of female high school athletes meet the criteria for female athlete triad and uh, 65% of female high school non-athletes meet the criteria for female athlete triad maybe for different reasons um, but you gotta wonder I mean is something that I've seen like within the last, maybe it's been over a decade, but you know, people going after uh, Cosmo. And I remember if you, Cosmo. I mean, I, I don't know if you you maybe remember this or have come across this, but there was like this famous um, kind of fashion show. I can't remember the exact fashion. I'm not like super into fashion shows, but there's this fashion oh show and. <laughs> on the catwalk <laughs> <laughs> uh, these women uh, these women that were in this show every one of them was textbook criteria anorexic um, and the concern was that this is like such an influential show to the masses of the world that it was marketing an unhealthy female body. Yeah. yeah. Um and obviously there are there's some data to support if, if, if this data is correct this 78% and 65% um I mean that's basically the majority of high school women or girls um, are exhibiting this. So it's not good. Not at all. I mean, I think part of it, you know, we're going to get a little bit into maybe psychology, right? Or is that the next one? I forget.
0: <laughs> Every time. Yeah.
1: Uh, part of it is psychological. Part of it is um, the way someone's thinking, like, because obviously most people are trying to do, have a goal or trying to do something that they think is right or you know okay or not harmful maybe um not in all cases but i think maybe normally right um and they're they're maybe causing harm i think i'm completely guilty of this I'm, i'm such a huge fan of you know intermittent fasting but in reality um you know, it's got to be a scale of checks and balances, and there's oh, uh, there always has to be some form of limits to, you know, especially things like weight loss. Um, you know, like what I tell people is, you don't want to lose more than one percent body fat, or excuse me, body weight a week, um, and and ideally a month. Um, you know, because overall, uh, the slower it goes, the kind of better you are in terms of probably managing yourself hormonally, right. um, uh, just as a generalized rule. Right.
0: Um, oh man, you just, you just brought something up. I don't want to um, cut you off. So if you have more to say,
1: you're not, I think I, I think I made the point clear, okay. like, uh. Yeah. I my mean, general message was just to uh, i mean we were talking about intermittent fasting i think a couple of podcasts ago and we were, we were like giving it all this glory and all these benefits but at the same time it's it's deleterious if it's properly uh, not not properly implemented excuse me right. so yeah. yeah yeah no
0: i i, I totally agree um, i think like psychologically you know you could you know if one was really going after an image thing or just, you know, wanting to lose massive weight, um, do whatever, you know, they're one, they're going to probably reduce their caloric consumption, um, you know, initially. And then two, if they add in that intermittent fasting, like you're just, you're digging yourself further down that hole, right. Of, um, low energy availability and, um, you know, the consequences that that can have, um, but you were, so you were talking about um, kind of the slow, the slow process versus the quick one and how that influences our hormones. Um, man, I've been seeing it so often lately. Um, you know, the majority of patients, you know, coming in, they're all um, obese. You know, like, you know, I saw, I saw a BMI of 74 the other day, like I didn't even know that was possible. Um, but the the, po- wow. the point I was bringing in um, is that there's an FDA approved drug for weight loss, um, and it's called Fentamine, and it's basically an amphetamine. And I just, I don't know, man. It just, just pushes my button in the wrong way, you know. at That, and and I don't know exactly why, but it just seems crazy that like we could just prescribe people like amphetamines basically to help them lose weight in the, the way that it works is that it's, it's going after one of the side effects, which is um, like reduced cravings, um, which is like one of the important things that you want to look out for um, when you're like treating kids with like ADHD um, because the primary treatment is amphetamines and, um, So weight loss is kind of the, the thing to look out for there, but I don't know, man, it just seems,
1: yeah, I mean,
0: um, mean, like, you know, you always try to make sure that, you know, they, they have some sort of plan, right. This is kind of, uh, I mean, based off of my limited experience um, of seeing physicians working with these people is that, you know, it's kind of like they have this plan and like, they know they can do it, but they just kind of need, they need a little Kickstarter, you know, little bit of help and like i i you know i i can appreciate that to some extent um but at the same time like i think one of the biggest things is that they need education on the nutrition um because uh you know the general guidelines and general recommendations um as we've been mentioning (laughs) many times so far are probably not um in their favor um and you know of course as physicians, our nutritional education is, is very poor. So it's very easy for us to just yeah. go look at the, basically the same exact guidelines. And, um, and yeah, that's just, that's, I don't know. That's, this is just really kind of puts me in this weird mood thinking about just prescribing amphetamines. Like,
1: but anyways... I, I get yeah I get in a weird mood prescribing any weight loss drugs because I mean there's it's too easy there's such a dependency yeah. um, that can develop especially from amphetamines I mean that's like a classic um, schedule like two or three you know pretty good risk of dependency um, makes me think of why cigarettes part of the reason cigarettes are so hard to quit for a lot of people is that when they try to give up smoking I mean nicotine is also a stimulant so you get that um, appetite reduction not to mention you kind of burn your taste buds so um, you don't have as much uh, sensitivity for taste (laughs) and then you wind up quitting you you know, don't have that appetite suppression from the nicotine, and you also have more taste buds. So, food tastes actually more, you know, intense, and you might eat more food. It's just this perfect combination for like gaining five to 10 pounds every time you try to attempt to quit cigarettes. Yeah. Uh, which is sad because, you know, like there's so much benefit from quitting the cigarettes, um, that the potential benefits there um and i remember one thing we had to look out for in community pharmacy um was high school women buying laxatives Mm -hmm. um because there was like this trend where girls would buy laxatives so that after they ate they could just basically like immediately poop everything they just ate out yeah um which is kind of disgusting but it's also sad Um, and the measures people go to um, fit into this kind of imagery of what they think is a healthy version of themselves is something that you know I think in nutrition it's always not uh, necessarily a go to the diet kind of thing like that's something that you seriously have to consider maybe um suggesting psychology you know um, like a specialist that deals with specifically with like body um imagery
0: yeah dysmorphic um
1: yeah. yeah um so it's it's interesting because it's partly the diet but it's also there's a psychological factor to it Um, yeah
0: it's all that social media you know i know man
1: i mean, trying to compare i think that was interesting because um Yeah. yeah i mean uh like my wife woke up the other day and she was on the computer and she's like um you know there's been some stuff going on and she found an old uh crossfit commercial of um, it turned sevens into tens. I don't know if you remember that one. Um, yeah, and another. it seems it's like a commercial with a few women doing like some workouts, uh, like lifting weights, doing some weightlifting, some ring work. And you know, they're all looking like very fit and active and capable. And uh, it was actually during that time where that uh i believe it was during the time where that um like fashion show was getting all that criticism Mm -hmm. and they were trying to use that to their advantage to try to market you know an exercise program that had a different um it was oh yeah and then the marketing slogan was uh beauty and strength so um, They're trying to market like strength training and resistance training and kind of high intensity training with um, beauty and being strong as like a quality of of beauty, which I thought was really interesting. Um, yeah. How they use that marketing. Um, and you know, people say like, "Well, weightlifting makes you bulky," and I always go, "Well, you should probably watch the forty nine kilogram." <laughs> women's world weightlifting championships Uh, because those women are not bulky (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and they are incredibly strong
0: yeah i think part of it too is um obviously there's a lot of like cultural cultural um like aspects aspects to this but and maybe maybe this is just like me personally but um i feel like like particularly in particularly in my life, um, probably like a little earlier on, like, yeah, you know, I, that kind of, um, the model-esque, you know, body type was, was probably more attractive. Um, but honestly, I think as I gotten older, like I would rather have the slightly bulky girl who can actually like hold her own and like <laughs> is somewhat strong, you know, and capable. Um, again, that's just me, but I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm not alone with that. Um, it reminds me of uh think it was like a one of the crossfit um like commercials or ads or something maybe when like i first started looking at it or something or it was something specific to the women but like even though like they had like six packs and stuff like that like ah there was just something very <laughs> attractive about that you know um i don't want to get off topic with that um
1: yeah um, but... yeah, I think that's a good point though. and um, I guess just it's to just put a... it into perspective, I found another statistic um, that says up to twenty seven percent of exercising females have two of the three um, female athlete triad um, characterizations, and hmm. less than nine percent of doctors recognize it
0: well Nate I think one of the main problems is that <laughs> is that those young adolescent girls who are exercising and whatever that 40 percent of those who aren't uh, yeah. um, they're not drinking enough milk that's why yeah. their bone mineral density is low because they're not getting enough <laughs> calcium. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess it's like more predominantly high school, either high school women exercise more because a higher percentage of them have it, or you know, I guess they're a lower percentage of the total population of exercising women. Um. Yeah i yeah, it's it's totally a marketing thing. There's so much marketing and I mean really like I like guess is a great segue to the food choice thing and like food allergy and sensitivity and uh yeah. Um because I've worked with like um women who have done uh you know, food allergy testing. It's not like something I do like personally. I mean Um, I think there's definitely like cases where it's absolutely like, um, a definite thing that is affecting someone. Um, and it's really interesting too, because I've met women who, you know, wound up realizing that the way they felt was actually like some low grade rheumatoid arthritis or autoimmune arthritis. And you know, eliminating some foods that they showed food sensitivity to actually vastly improved their general feeling of well-being. Um, so yeah, I feel like you know, based on just um, you know, kind of case reports of of these these types of situations, like there is a tremendous. Significance to some people when it comes to food sensitivity, and uh, yeah, and uh, sometimes people like just kind of avoid eating because they have a food sensitivity, and they're eating a food that they think is healthy and good for them, um, and then they get these like really um, uncomfortable feelings, and then you know, uh, turns out it is a food allergy. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so there's that kind of stuff too. Um,
0: yeah, you know, I, th- I think it's, um, it's just a really interesting um, idea, and, and um, you know, the first time I, I kind of came across this, um, this research and this idea um, was when I was doing my research on gluten, and um, I just I remember this one paper, and, you know, it's basically looking at the spectrum, right, So, you know, on one end, you have, you know, full-blown autoimmune disease, celiac disease. Like, those people, like, literally just cannot have any gluten. And then once you start heading left, you know, you get into, like, the allergy realm. Um, And then you can go even further, basically, decreasing severity, I guess, is a way you could look at it, Um, and, you know, at the other end of the spectrum from full-blown autoimmune is just this sensitivity and you know the sensitivity to the food can can manifest as you know in so many different ways and everybody's going to like this is why you know we treat the individual um just you know every every person's going to express it differently maybe you know one person gets headaches maybe one person has the brain fog maybe one person just has Generalized fatigue, or you know, you know, eczema, or just something. Um, and man, I, just, I remember bringing I was in medical school, and like, I think I asked my physio professor, I was like, Well, what about like a sensitivity or something? And she, and she had, she had no idea. She's like, No, like it's, it's celiac or it's not. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> um, but I was talking to a friend the other day, and um, she recently had um, kind of the, the skin food sensitivity test done, she found out she was allergic or sensitive to, um, you know, a lot, lots of things like yogurt and, you know, gluten. And, but then she said strawberries and I was like, what? That sucks. Like (laughs) strawberries are amazing. Um, but the importance of this is kind of, you know, emphasizing what you had just said is that, you know, we, we talk about, you know, eating just like single ingredient whole foods and like stick to the outer edges of the grocery stores and just, you know, whatever. If it doesn't have a food label on it, you're, you know, golden, just eat it. But obviously that's, that's, that's generalizing. And while that is a good, I think, starting point for anybody who lives in America, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, if, if you're, you know, it's still like having symptoms and stuff like that, then that, that could be, you know, indicative of kind of this underlying food food sensitivity. And the important thing about this is just with like allergies, you know, people will say, oh, well, I've never been allergic to this, or I've never had allergies. But well, the reality of it is that, you know, things can change. Um, I mean, as kind of like a side note, you know, you can look at um, like lactose intolerance, right? Um, you can have like primary lactose intolerance which is where you know which is probably the case for the majority of people and you just you lose that ability like your enzymes the lactase enzyme you just you just stop making it because well after you know you've grown from a little infant whatever your body for whatever reason has to say like all right like we don't really need this milk even though (laughs) you know my my plate has a glass of milk on it but anyways uh You know, then you can have like, you can have a secondary, which, you know, if you have maybe some sort of GI infection or something that can totally, you know, wipe out your lactase ability. Um, And so, you know, kind of this idea that, you know, maybe, and I think a lot of it has to do less with the actual food and more with the actual local environment of the gut and probably how that's interacting with um, your immune system, your hormones and things like this. Um, cause you know that like that chemical structure makeup, like of oh, that strawberry, um, it probably hasn't changed. I mean, conventionally it might have cause we've altered it, but uh, <laughs> um, you know, like it hasn't really changed. So then it's like, now you have this sensitivity to it. Um, you know, there's, probably something else going on. And, and I know, I think like, um, Candida, um, Candida, um, you know, overgrowth in the gut, um, I think is a contributing factor to the development of not only food sensitivities, but also to probably food allergies. Um, and so one of her, so what she was going to do is she, she, ordered this, um, it's kind of like a, an anti candidal kind of like gut, um, replenishment, um, protocol. I think it's like a three month thing. And, you know, of course it says, you know, to limit, eliminate, you know, alcohol and sugar, um, which we no sugar can lead to, you know, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and you can predispose to kind of this candida overload and, um, do all that stuff. But, um, I feel like I'm a little off track, but anyways, there is a, so obviously, this is kind of the, the premise for doing like a, an elimination diet, right? If someone's going to the doctor or something like, man, I think I've, I have don't know. I have these kind of these constitutional symptoms um, and they can't really find anything that's going on. So it's like, all right, let's, let's check out your, your food sensitivity. Um, and then we can assess what foods you might be allergic to. And then we can translate that into um, like this elimination diet, which I think you had mentioned before. Right. And you eliminate a food for 30 days or whatever. Um, and then, you know, obviously assessing your symptoms along the way and then reintroduce it and keep you know assessing your symptoms. And that's kind of your, your at home way of um, determining your food sensitivity. If you don't do the test, you can buy like a home test, which basically um, you just like poke your finger, get a little blood and then it measures um, your antibodies to like this, a big long list of, um, just foods, which ironically are all whole foods for some reason. That's just really interesting to me. Um, and so you can get that for like $150, but, (laughs) um, the, the reason I brought this up is, you know, not only to emphasize that, you know, I think our reactions to foods, can change. I mean, depending on um, whether, you know, maybe we have an infection or just whatever. And, and the one thing I asked her too, and I was like, so it's, you know, you're reactive to strawberries. But I asked her, I was like, is that organic strawberries or conventional strawberries? She was like, ooh, I'm not sure. Because um, again, maybe it's this interaction with, you know, the pesticides and things like this that are on the food that are then causing your immune system to not only attack that, but then to attack the thing that it's associated with, which is that food product. Um, I think we mentioned that this was kind of um, a big idea with gluten um, as far as why it might be so reactive in people is that it's not actually the gluten itself. Maybe it's like the glyphosate um, that's, you know, sprayed on it and then interacts and kind of becomes part of it through lots of chemistry and stuff like this. But um, one more thing I wanted to mention is that um, the Harvard School of Public Health actually um, on their website, they say that gluten is the number one food that people are most sensitive to. Um, I just, I think that's, it's really interesting. Because um, again, going back to kind of the spectrum, so like, oh, well, no, I don't have, celiac disease so i can continue to eat gluten and it's like well you might actually just be sensitive to it and perhaps maybe your symptoms might not be severe enough to you know require medical intervention or something like that but i I think eventually it it probably you know possibly could lead to it i mean if we look at you know headaches as a common um you know a common symptom um If you're not addressing that root cause of those headaches, well, then you're going to to rely on, you know, pharmaceuticals to help with that, Um, you know, fatigue, brain fog, um, brain fog leading to caffeine addiction, leading to, you know, adrenal burnout, leading to depression, you know, I mean, there's so many ways you can kind of, kind of look at this, but I'll shut up for a second. And if you have any comments, Nate. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah um, yeah, you covered a lot there. I um, <laughs> no. uh, yeah, getting back to you know conventional versus organic, and you have you know groups that publish you know the conventional foods with generally low pesticide, you know, you get the clean 15 and the dirty right. dozen. I think it's, I uh, forget the group that does that. And then, um, you know, that is, that is something to consider. I mean, um, I think everybody shows up for gluten on those things. And um, I remember reading something in sport nutrition where that kind of stuff is used. And then bodybuilders, you know, most bodybuilders are allergic to like tuna, egg whites and rice cakes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And like the whole premise is that they eat so much of it. um, It constitutes such a big part of their diet. Mm -hmm. There might be this also corresponding, um, you know, the poison is in the dose kind of thing to how those tests are um, reading things. Mm So, maybe your friend just eats way too many strawberries. But, uh,
0: yeah, that's that's good.
1: anyhow. <laughs> I think the trouble really is, um, that you know, is it a food allergy or is it a deficiency? Especially nowadays, where like these super generalized nutrition slogans or ideas are just rapid rapidly expanding for instance you know you know vegetarianism and veganism and um i remember this woman in my class who decided to give up meat become a vegetarian and like two months later she was hospitalized with like anemia um mm-hmm. in the show like all these similar things like loss of energy and um you know my she, you know, she might get, like, menses issues. She might see a uh, reduction, uh, re- reduction in bone health, bone mineral density, your thyroid function. Um, and a lot of times I see people who are vegan or vegetarian, and they might say things like they might, you know, I had one woman who was a, a, ve- a vegan. Oh, actually, she ate eggs, I think. So she was, like, an ovotarian. And she wouldn't eat she wouldn't eat like animal like fish or so but you know and she she was really like low on energy and like really I mean and this is someone who's very athletic um, has has been um, an athlete and an avid exerciser for years and years mm-hmm. decades and you know she went, to a vegetarian diet and she she had incredible results she lost a lot of uh, body fat and felt fitter and healthier um for you know she rode the the curve for a while there and then she hit this kind of plateau and you know we did the nutrition picture stuff got her pictures in i i mean she was not eating like any protein i think egg you know man like barely any protein Mm -hmm. um and i said you know like you're really not eating like anything that's a good source of protein and or a complete protein for that matter um and same thing like iron um so immediately you know we tried to like Like, immediately double the amount of protein she was eating. Um, You know, just protein at every meal. So it's almost like tripling it. And like, weeks later, she was a completely different person. Um, Crazy. And she was amazed because it it seemed like the most simplest thing. I mean, at first, she thought she was wasting her money, um, you know, working with me. Which was kind of funny. I mean,
0: it's your fault, Nate.
1: <laughs> I said, you know, just give me three weeks, three to four weeks, just try it. You know, if it doesn't work, you know, we can talk about it. That's what I said. And uh, yeah, I mean, um, and stuff like that happens. I mean, someone might give up meat and not even think about replacing the iron which is, you know, required in hemoglobin, right? Or heme, and transport oxygen. Um, And these physiological, you know, truths uh, that we need to see. I mean, food allergy is just this really bizarre thing that we still, the science is still controversial, but we do see these instances where, you know, someone gets rid of gluten is probably the most common one. all of a sudden their acne disappears and they lose weight. And But then you look at the dose of gluten they were getting and they might have been eating bread at every meal or, yeah. um, so there's like multi, so now they're not only reducing gluten, but they're also reducing like simple carbohydrates. They're reducing overall calories. They're reducing the glycemic index of their meals. Um, but i totally will uh say that there have been people that you know show up and they're allergic to green beans or they show up for green bean sensitivity they stop eating green beans and they feel a lot better yeah less bloating less um, kind of cramping and soreness and whatever i mean if it if it really works for them i kind of hard pressed to not, to just be like, well, it's kind of bogus. Sorry. yeah. (laughs) yeah. They're the one experiencing it. So.
0: Yeah. No, you bring up a a good point about um, like the, the dose, right? Uh, Maybe the the response is all in the dose. um, um, Because it just made me think that, you know, maybe tying in this um, kind of the environment of the gut and the activation of your immune system right maybe you're reactive because your immune system is just overreactive right and that's again this is this is all kind of theoretical there's there's you know maybe so many different possibilities for um you know why people have sensitivities um but you know i've I, have a pretty good feeling that probably, you know, an overactive immune system can uh, certainly um, kind of contribute, you know, to these. I mean, you know, think about what an overactive immune system, you know, can do in general and, you know, what it could lead to. So, um,
1: yeah, I think um, something worth mentioning um, is also that The change might be immediate, but it has to be sustained for the like real um, benefits to show. Yeah. Um, You know, like at first, if someone starts to, you know, for example, get more protein and um, limit their gluten and eat more vegetables, they'll have better energy and stuff like that. But it won't be. Until like several months later, that they'll actually see, like in the, in the example of like a female athlete triad case, it wouldn't be till months later that they might see their menses become regular. So, right. um, it's kind of tough because they might hopefully like the initial response is beneficial that they get motivated to continue. Yeah. Um, I mean, the woman that I worked with actually has i mean dropped several percent body fat more since working with her and that was like a year ago and and she's a total it looks like a totally different person from the day i worked with her Mm. it only took a month and it only took like i mean she generally ate healthy um and most people are trying to eat healthy or they think they're trying to eat healthy so um (laughs) you know, it, it does work to kind of clarify things and explain it. You always have to um, like why you're thinking a certain way. Because um, yeah. otherwise, it's just like telling people what to do. And
0: no, nobody kinda, likes that.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, you know, <laughs> so, but I mean, it will take eventually years for people to maybe recover. I think generally, like when you look at functional medicine cases um you're talking about years of follow-up usually yeah. to see i mean we, we shared that case last time about cholesterol and the low-carb diet and that that's like six months um but i mean years from now if that's continued yeah the benefits will be um much more dramatic i think um yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I think I might have cut you off a little. bit.
0: no, that's good. Um, we're we're a little over here on our time, so I think uh, maybe we'll just wrap it up. But yeah. Oh, um, we have reached over a hundred views, listens, whatever you want to call them. So awesome! Thank you to all the listeners. That's um, this is crazy to crazy to see um yeah it's awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: awesome. and okay. uh, thank you uh...
0: so yeah uh, i just i have a little uh, joke here um so start incorporating some jokes um at the end and i'll try not to make them too medical but um <laughs> yeah so oh, um Doc says, What's the condition of the boy who swallowed the quarter? Nurse says, No change yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god. that's a good one. I that reminds me of uh that reminds me I used to uh work nights um at a hospital and uh I was practicing at this hospital, and we had this patient come in multiple occasions, and they were like, uh, like they they had really mental issues, but they would swallow things um, that weren't edible—pica—and like uh, scissors, rulers. They probably had
0: iron deficiency.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, they were high on ketamine, but (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I think, um, I think they, you know, after like the second or third time, the surgeon said that they weren't going to operate on them anymore. And uh, I think it was after the second time they said they weren't going to operate on them the next time. But they still did. The next time they came in, they had to. I think medically, but um, you know, I think he went on to a year of intensive psych wards. Um, so it was it, it was it was really sad. It's very tragic, obviously. Um, however, like the X-rays were just <laughs> insane. <I>
0: mean, <laughs> you know.
1: You literally, you know, pull up the patient chart, and it was just scissors and a ruler in the guy's stomach. Oh my gosh, I can't.
0: You no, know, when you kind of first started on this story, I, I kind of didn't know where 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 you were going with
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: then I realized it had to do with. my that's jokes, pretty much, so. That's
1: pretty much. <laughs> I'm running out of material now. Go to the good one. Oh man, uh, uh, that's
0: good. All right, well, Nate, thank you for your services, as always.
1: Yeah, it's Colby, thanks for having me on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, hope uh, it was informative. Hope we clarified um, some of the stuff about like intermittent fasting and how to think about um, some of the kind of pitfalls or precautions um and yeah you can still be allergic to uh healthy food right yeah Yeah.
0: crazy it's crazy (sighs) notion but it's crazy world all right nate well thanks again and uh thank you to the listeners and we'll see you all next time
1: all right see it bye